this week on Hope for the Broken. One of the marks of the Christian life is that we remain in Christ even when it's not easy. When we are not all in at something, the moment something gets rocky is the moment that we bail. Our faith is most revealed during the storms of life. Those that continue in Jesus, those that remain in Jesus, those that abide in Jesus, even when it's hard, they're the ones connected to the vine. But those that abandon ship, perhaps they were never even connected to begin with. Welcome to Hope for the Broken, the audio podcast ministry of Trinity Baptist Church in Mount Pleasant, Texas. I'm your host, Austin Mahoney. We exist to become a gospel-centered community redeeming brokenness through hope in Jesus Christ. At Trinity, we believe we are all broken and in need of the redeeming hope found in Jesus. For more information about our church, visit us on our website at trinitytx.org. This week, we conclude our series called I Am. Here's our pastor, Chris Wigley, with part seven titled, I Am the True Vine. Today we are uh, closing out, putting uh, a bow on a teaching series that we've worked through over the past seven weeks called I Am. We've taken a look at each of the seven I Am statements of Jesus. And we've learned that Jesus is very intentional when he uses the phrase I Am. He's referring back to Exodus chapter 13. When Moses is asked by God to lead his people out of slavery in Egypt, and Moses says, who do I say sent me? And Jesus says, I am that I am uh, sent, sent you. And so when Jesus says, I am, he is very intentionally drawing our attention to the fact that he is not like God. He's not a God. Jesus is God in the flesh. Very intentional there. And over the course of this series, we learned that that Jesus is the bread of life. That is, that he's the source of sustaining life. That he is the light of the world. That Jesus is the one that pushes back even the darkness in our lives. We looked at how he said, I am the gate and that I am the good shepherd. Those being that Jesus is protection against wolves that would come to steal, kill, and destroy the sheep. And last week we looked at Jesus being the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one gets to heaven except by Jesus as the Lord and Savior of their life. Today, we come to the phrase where Jesus says, I am the vine. So I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 15, as we take a look at what Jesus means Here, we're going to be in the opening verses of the chapter here this morning, but let me go ahead and give you a spoiler. One of the key themes in this passage of Scripture is that Jesus says that not only am I the vine, but he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. A couple days ago, I came home from the office and I walked into the back door of our house and a heat wave hit me. It was hot in the house, and Kathy and the kids were milling around and cooking dinner and setting the table, getting things ready to have family dinner, which is becoming increasingly more rare these days, Uh, but they were busy, and and I I walked into this heat wave, and I made the statement, man, it is hot in here. How are y'all functioning in here? So I go over, like any man would do, to the thermostat to turn it down to make it cooler in the house, and when I arrive at the thermostat, I found out that the thermostat is blank, right? I thought, oh batteries out right so I pull the thermostat off the wall I change out the batteries I attach it back to the wall 
and lower it down to the temperature that I enjoy and took, uh, took a seat. Well, after a minute, I'm realizing it's, it hasn't gotten any cooler in the house. Like, I don't know what's going on here. And come to think of it, I didn't really hear the air conditioning unit kick on. And so I go back to the thermostat and the, the, the temperature's rising in the house. It's not blowing warm air. It's just, you know, I think all the cooking and all the milling around and stuff like that is getting warmer. And I thought, oh, no. So I went to go look at the outside unit. And something you need to know about me, like when it comes to AC type stuff, uh, being a handyman, like I know zero. <laughs> so when I say I go to look at the outdoor unit, that's exactly what I did. Just looked at it. You know, like uh, I see a unit, uh, I see a fan, I see some wires and it looks good to me. Uh, so, so then I'm going, okay, well, um, I do know enough to know that there is a fuse box on the outside wall. Maybe it's the fuse box. And, uh, you know, I know that like sometimes when my, my phone, uh, you know, messes up, you, you reboot it. So I'm thinking, well, I'm just going to reboot the system. Right. So I pull the fuses out and I'm looking at the fuses and they're about as big as your thumb. And I'm going, I can't tell if it's, I can't tell if these are good or bad. So I put it back in, hoping, crossing my fingers for a reset. Nothing. So then I come in and the most defeating thought in the world hits me. I'm sleeping in a hot house tonight. And, and, and there's not a thing you can do about it, right? And so I'm, I'm sitting there going, okay, well, I got to call a repair person. And so I'm, I'm going to call and leave a message. And, uh, and then whenever I pick up my phone to make that call, a light bulb goes off. I have this aha moment. And you guys are already thinking it, right? I didn't check the, the main circuit breaker, right? Maybe there's, maybe there's something that's tripped. So I go to the circuit breaker and I open up the door. And I don't know who installed that, but they were either a doctor before they installed that or they wrote in a different language because all I saw was chicken scratch, right? And uh, there was one, there was one uh, fuse that had been tripped. And so I thought, well, it goes to something, right? So I might as well turn it on. And, and I flipped the switch and then I hear the AC unit <laughs> kick on. And I went through the house and I was like, all I do is win, 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 no matter what. <laughs> and we had a cool house and I didn't have to sleep in the, in the heat. Why do I share that story? Well, I share that story because the AC unit could not do what it was designed to do when it was detached from the power source. When Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches, and apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus is saying, apart from him, we're much like a useless air conditioning unit, one that is detached from the source of life. And today, I want us to discover what does it mean to be attached to the source? The metaphor that Jesus uses in this I am statement, I am the vine, is, is that of a, a vineyard. And he's, he's looking at vines and branches, and he's going to also introduce us to the vine dresser. And the point that Jesus is going to make is apart from him, we're not just ineffective, you see, we're dead. And so remaining in him, abiding in him, is something that is absolutely necessary. Now, before we dive in uh, this morning, I want to give us a little bit of a, a background. I want to set the scene for us of John chapter 15. 
This chapter is a part of what is called the Upper Room Discourse. Now, when you come across that term discourse in the, in the pages of Scripture, all it means is a, it's, it's a talk, it's a, it's a teaching. There's, there's many different discourses written out in the Gospel accounts. For example, when Jesus talks about the end of times, it's known as the Olivet Discourse. Well, why is it known as the Olivet Discourse? Well, he's give, delivering this teaching from the Mount of Olives. That's Olivet Discourse. So when we come to this teaching, it's known as the Upper Room Discourse because the teaching begins in the Upper Room. So in John chapter 13, Jesus uh, is with his disciples and he's having the Lord's Supper with them. And this is all happening in the Upper Room on what will prove to be the eve of his crucifixion. And then at the end of chapter 14, Jesus says, Arise, let's go from here. So Jesus asked the disciples to leave. Now at this point, Judas has already left the group. He's on his way to uh, betray Jesus for a few pieces of silver and set in motion what will be Jesus' arrest, his fake trial, and ultimately his crucifixion. And Jesus says, well, let's arise now that Jesus is gone and let's make our way. Let's go from here. Now, in John chapter 17, we learn that Jesus and his disciples are in the Garden of Gethsemane. So this journey, most scholars believe, they leave the upper room, they make their way to the Garden of Gethsemane, and most scholars believe that they walk through what is known as the Kidron Valley. And the Kidron Valley of this day and time would have been a great place for a vineyard. And so more than likely, we don't know this for sure because we don't read it in the text, but more than likely as Jesus is walking with his disciples, he comes across a vineyard and he says, boy, do I have an object lesson for you. And he teaches them about the vine and the branches. Let's pick up the story. John chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because the word I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Again, I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Today I want to talk to you about the four marks of the Christian life. Four key identifiers of the Christian life that Jesus gives us today. There's four aspects of following Jesus. That is professing, pruning, persevering, and proving. That will be our outline here this morning. The four marks of the Christian life. Let's first talk about professing. When I say professing, what I mean is that there has come a point in a believer's life in which they have professed Jesus as the Lord and Savior of your life. Jesus calls that being born again. So one of the marks of a Christian is that they have professed Jesus as Lord and Savior. Well, what does that mean in Jesus' teaching here? Well, look at what Jesus says. He says, I am the true vine. The Father is the vine dresser. What is this idea behind Jesus being the true vine? Well, the word true in the original language means real or genuine. So obviously Jesus is distinguishing himself 
as that which is true. Therefore, making reference to some other vine only being a representation of the true vine. Now, he could be saying that as he's passing by a, a vineyard, and he could be saying, well, this is, this is a vineyard, this is vine and branches, but I am the real vine. He could be saying that, but I actually think that Jesus is saying something else. He's intending something else here. In the Old Testament, the nation of Israel is often referred to as the vine, God's vineyard. And in fact, on the temple in Jesus' day would have been giant uh, bronze doors and embossed upon those doors would be a vine and branches. It's because the nation of Israel was often referred to as God's vineyard, as God's vine. In fact, in Psalm chapter 80, verse 8, it says this, you, meaning God, brought a vine out of Egypt, that's the Exodus, and you drove out the nations and you planted it. So this is, this is a reference to the nation of Israel. So I think that Jesus is not only using a vineyard as an object lesson, but I think he's also referring to the nation of Israel in this, in this statement. He's saying, Israel's depicted as God's vine, but I am the true vine. I'm the actual vine. I'm the genuine vine. And to profess Jesus as Lord is to acknowledge him as such. Also in the story, there are three characters. The true vine, that being Jesus. The vine dresser being God the Father. And then the branches. We are the branches. If you are in Christ, you are an offshoot of the vine. You are a branch. I am a branch. Another aspect of professing Jesus as Lord is acknowledging who he is and recognizing who we are. Listen, we are sinful humanity. Jesus is the Savior. We are just a branch, a twig. Jesus is the vine. And it's to acknowledge him as that, to recognize him, to profess him as the true vine. We do not have life within us. We cannot produce life within us. No, we are sinful. We lead to death and destruction, but it is Jesus in us that produces life in us. And so we must recognize, we must profess him as the true vine. Another thing about this passage that is important to see is the, is the personal nature of this conversation. Eleven times in the course of eight verses, Jesus uses the phrase, you. And it's actually you, plural. And I think Jesus would have been from the great state of Texas, so I think it's actually y'all, right? And then he uses the word me. He's talking about you all and me, his disciples and him. Jesus says, abide in me and I in you. He says, you all, abide in me. He says, you all are the branches and apart from me, you could do nothing. You see the personal nature of these comments. The point is, is that a relationship with Jesus is what is important. The way that you are connected to the vine is through a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. You must know him intimately. You must know him personally. You must have yielded to him as the boss, as the Lord, the Savior of your life. We must abide in him and him and us. The point is, is that the first mark, the distinguishing mark of a Christian is that of a profession of faith in Jesus as Lord. Number two, 
The second mark of a Christian life is pruning. We have professing, and then we have pruning. Look at what Jesus says in verse 2 of John chapter 15. He says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Listen, a part of the Christian journey is being pruned by God. It's a part, it's a distinguishing mark of life in Christ. The word translated takes away means to completely remove, to rid of. And the word prune, prunes means to purify or to cleanse. And so God, the vine dresser, removes that which is dead from our lives and cleanses that which is overgrown in our lives. And here's the truth of the matter. You and I, we're all in the same boat. We all have areas of our life that needs to be pruned. Areas in our life that needs to be addressed. Areas of our life where we need the vine dresser to go to work. And that is not always pleasant things, but it can be very fruitful things when when God prunes us. So what are some of the things that God takes away or some of the things that he cleanses? Well, I think it can refer to certain sin in our lives that God cleanses us from, that he prunes from us. I think it could be habits that are often difficult to break, that God tears that away. They could be relationships that maybe are toxic, that God removes from our lives. Or they can just simply be removing things so as to provide the rest that you actually need. Those are, those are ways in which we are pruned. Now, I'm not a gardener to know enough about pruning and what that actual process looks like, but I know that there are certain tools that are used in the pruning process. Let me name a few of those. Shears, trimmers, and loppers. Now, I don't know about you, but those are not things I want anywhere near me, right? I don't want anybody using those tools on me. I don't want to experience that. Why? Because that's where you get a finger cut off. And, and that's going to be a very, very bad thing. But why does someone prune? Why does someone use those tools? Well, Jesus tells us there's a purpose behind it. So that you bear much fruit. So you bear more fruit. How does God do that? It's through a process known as sanctification. Now, that is a huge theological word that means the process of becoming more like Jesus. When you and I come to faith, we begin the sanctification process. We begin growing more and more like Jesus, and God goes to work. And the sanctification process is sometimes painful and extremely uncomfortable, but it's absolutely necessary. One of the things that I love about our campus is our courtyard. And out in that courtyard are four beautiful rose bushes. And you need to stop by and just take a look at those from time to time. But every February and every July, they get trimmed back. And the reason why they are healthy and the reason why they produce as many roses as they do is because they are tended to, they're pruned. And it gives room for more growth in their lives. Though pruning seasons are hard, they're absolutely essential, beloved. We need to grow to appreciate those pruning seasons. How does the Holy Spirit prune us? 
Well, there's probably many ways. I want to mention two for us. The first way the Holy Spirit works to prune us is in the illumination of God's Word. I want you to take a look at Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, and see what it says about itself, about what the Bible says about itself. It says, for the Word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So the Holy Spirit takes the study of God's Word and He convicts us. He reveals to us areas needing to change. Now there are times, a lot of times, throughout the pages of Scripture that God's Word comforts us. In seasons of loss, we can turn to God's Word and find peace and comfort. But there are also times where the Bible convicts us. It cuts us to the core, and it reveals areas of our life needing to change. This is why studying God's Word is absolutely vital to the believer. It's a way in which the Holy Spirit reveals things to us that we can make right with Him. So one way the Holy Spirit prunes us is through uh, Bible study. Another way, the second way I want to point out that the Holy Spirit prunes us is through God's people. Truth is that I need someone, I need people to speak into my life, to challenge me. And you, beloved, need someone to challenge you. We all need to be loved, yes. But perhaps one of the greatest displays of love in my life is when someone loves me enough to say and come to me, Chris, you're out of line here. We need to fall back in line here. This is, this is one of the greatest displays of love. And so the Holy Spirit prunes through God's Word. He prunes through other people. Now, I know none of us are jumping at the opportunity saying, ooh, ooh, Jesus, prune me, right? Nobody likes that season of life. But here's a picture I want you to see. When a master gardener goes to prune a plant, they zoom in on that plant. They get really close to that plant. And they investigate the areas of that plant that are diseased. Maybe areas of that plant that are struggling and things maybe growing up with that plant that need to be eliminated for the health of that plant. In other words, the gardener has to get very close to the plant that it's pruning. Listen, the same is true with God. When you are going through a season of pruning in your life, where the Holy Spirit is cutting, and yes, it hurts, I want you to know something. It means that God is close. God is close. He's close to you in those moments. And that becomes a great sense of comfort, even in the midst of the conviction that often comes. God is close whenever He's pruning us. So we see the marks of the Christian life are professing and pruning. The third mark of the Christian life is persevering. One of the words that is repeated so much in John chapter 15 and 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 a song that we sang about already this morning is the word abide. Look at verses 6 and 7 of John chapter 15. Jesus says, If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. But if you abide in me, 
And my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. I want to point out three things here about these two verses. First, the word abide means to remain in or to continue in. One of the marks of the Christian life is that we remain in Christ even when it's not easy. That's where we get the word persevere. When we are not all in at something, the moment something gets rocky is the moment that we bail. But a call to Christ is a call to be all in. It's a commitment to say I'm completely surrendered to Christ even when it's not easy on me. You know, Jesus never promised us an easy road. In fact, he promised us the opposite. He says what in John 16? In this world, oh, you will have trouble. But we could take heart. Why? Because he has overcome the world. And so we are to remain in him even in the difficult times. James 1, 2 through 4 says this, to count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Now, maybe your translation has the word perseverance. That's the idea. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Trials will come, but abide in Christ. The second thing that I want to mention with these verses deal with the eternal security of the believer. I know that may be a new phrase to you or new, new terms to you. Simply what eternal security of the believer means is once saved, always saved. I believe the Bible is clear in that it teaches once saved, always saved. That you cannot lose your salvation. You say, well, how do you find that? Where do you find that in Scripture? Well, uh, first of all, salvation is a gift of God. It's not earned. And so if you can't earn it, then you can't unearn it. It's a gift of God. But secondly, Jesus said, even in one of the I am statements we studied, I am the good shepherd, he says, uh, and all of God's sheep are in his hands, and no one can snatch them out of his hand. There's a sense of peace and security when it comes to our salvation in Christ. But pastor, look at verse 6 again. What did Jesus say? If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Doesn't this mean that someone can come to faith, and if they don't remain in Jesus, then they are cut off from him, and they lose their salvation? No. Well, how do we know that? Remember, study the Bible. Context is huge. It's key. And in verse 3, Jesus says, already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Jesus is talking about already you are in the fold. And remember who it is that he's talking to. Judas has left. He's bailed on Jesus. And so what is remaining is the 11. And so I don't think Jesus is saying that you can lose your salvation here. So what does he mean? Well, abiding is not about losing. Abiding is about revealing. Why doesn't cause us to lose something that reveals something about us? Jesus isn't saying you could lose your salvation, but he is saying if you're pretending, you'll be found out. Our faith, listen, our faith is most revealed during the storms of life. 
Those that continue in Jesus, those that remain in Jesus, those that abide in Jesus, even when it's hard, they're the ones connected to the vine. But those that abandon ship, well, perhaps they were never even connected to begin with. So we've talked about the persevering peace, uh, meaning to abide in Christ and that it is revealing. But what about verse 7? I mean, we can't just skip over verse 7, right? Let's look at it again. Verse 7. He says, if you abide in me and my words in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done to you. What in the world does Jesus mean about that? Well, let me tell you one thing for sure. Jesus is not a genie in a bottle. That when we get a little bit of Jesus, we get whatever we want. That's not Christianity. So what is Jesus saying here? Well, he's saying this. If you are abiding in me, then you are finding yourself in me. And therefore, what you want and what you desire is what the vine wants and the vine desires. And so therefore, it changes our prayers. When we remain in Christ, when we abide in Christ, it changes what we wish for. We want the will of God for our lives. And so we pray in such a way. And it is that that Jesus says will be done for you. So in essence, we're asking for what Jesus is asking. (laughs) We're reflecting his very words. Why? Because we're connected to Jesus. So we're to remain in him, continue in him. The marks of a Christian life, professing, pruning, persevering. The fourth mark of the Christian life is proving. Listen, the Christian life is not about talk. It's about walk. It's about what we do. That's where the proof is in the pudding. Not perfection. That's not what I'm saying. That's not what Jesus is saying. But evidence. Evidence of what? Evidence of a life-giving relationship with Jesus Christ. Verse 8 of John 15. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. The fruit that we are in, or the, the proof that we are in Christ is the fruit that we bear. And in Matthew chapter 7, verses 18 through 20, Jesus is teaching about how to identify false teachers. And this is what he says in verse 18 A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit. Nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Surely this can be said of the Christian too. This is what Jesus is saying. We are known for what we produce. James chapter 2 verse 17 says, So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Now, James is not talking about having works in order to be saved. No, he's saying that we do good deeds because we are saved. You see the difference? That our fruit, our works, is evidence of our own salvation. So we prove. A tree is known as what it produces, and so also a Christian is known by the same. So what is it that the fruit that the Christian produces. Well, I think we could, we could turn to Galatians chapter 5 and we could say, hey, wh- what are the fruits of the Spirit? Well, we know it's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Maybe that's what Jesus is talking about here. And I think that that would be a correct application for us. 
But again, I think the context tells us that Jesus is zooming in on a particular fruit of the Spirit. What is it that Jesus says? Well, let's keep reading. John chapter 15, verses 9 through 17. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant doesn't know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask in the Father's in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Listen, beloved, the greatest proof that you are in Christ is that you love. You love. What do you love? Well, you love God. You love people. You love Jesus. You love his bride, the church. Oh, but the church is filled with hypocrites. Yeah, you love them. Oh, but in this world, they're sinners. Yeah, love them. The greatest evidence that you are in Christ is that you love other people. The group of people that Jesus had the greatest disdain for were the Pharisees. The people who looked down their nose upon people. And they would pray prayers like this, God, I think I'm not like this person, this sinner. And Jesus says that they're a brood of vipers. But Jesus, he loved the sinner. He loved the broken and the, the, the Pharisees took advantage of people. And Jesus says, this is the key differentiation between someone who is a follower of me, someone who abides in me, and someone who doesn't. That they love others. And so we see the marks of the Christian life, professing Jesus as Lord, pruning in our lives that is making us more like Jesus, persevering in Christ, even in difficult days, and proving that we are in Christ by loving others. You're listening to Trinity Baptist Church's Hope for the Broken podcast. If you would like to learn more about this ministry, visit us online at trinitytx.org. That's trinitytx.org. Here's Pastor Chris to wrap up our time together. Thanks for listening today. I'm so glad that you found this podcast. It is our prayer that you are encouraged and challenged by today's message. It is our goal at Trinity to lead everyone into a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have questions about what it means to trust Jesus as the Lord of your life, we would love to connect with you. Please feel free to give us a call at 903-572-1959 or email us at info at If you are ever in the East Texas area, we invite you to join us for worship on Sundays at 9.30 or 11 a.m. 
Thanks so much for listening today. God bless you. We pray that you have experienced hope today. If you would like to support the ministries of Trinity Baptist Church with a financial gift, you can do so by giving online. Simply log on to trinitytx.org and click the Give tab. Be sure to join us next week as we look into God's Word on Hope for the Broken.